I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Today's episode is brought to you by Energy Smart, Energy New Orleans Energy Efficiency Program. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Michelle Collins, Dean of the College of Nursing and Health at Loyola University, New Orleans. On October 1st, the school unveiled its Loyola Oshner Nursing Simulation Lab, a $1.9 million experiential learning space. On today's episode, Collins will talk about the new lab, the nationwide nursing shortage, Loyola's Oshner partnership, and I hope <laughs> her blogging about the PBS show called The Midwife. Uh, Michelle Collins, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Rich. Okay, so the, the larger context for this whole conversation is that we've all been hearing about the nursing shortage. Can you tell me how serious of a situation is this? Is it getting worse or better? What's the cause? It's not getting better. I wish it was. Uh, it was present before the pandemic, but the pandemic just shone a, a spotlight on it and made it worse because people left nursing in, in droves because of the um, stress, the long hours. Some got sick, some died as caregivers. And so it only highlighted what was already there. So it was declining already. I, I don't really understand. It seems like uh, one of those professions where you, you know there's always going to be a need, and it seems like it would be an in-demand profession. Why, was the, why were those numbers going down? Just from stress? So, no, it existed prior for a few different reasons. One is that the average age of the American nurse is around 51. So in a few years, we're going to have a mass retirement from nursing. Another reason is our aging baby boomers. So people are living longer. They're going to have more chronic conditions to treat. Okay. There is a need for more nursing folks to take care of those people. Right. And the third factor is a decline in the number of nursing faculty. So there are lots of nursing applicants who are qualified but get turned away because there aren't seats in nursing schools because there aren't enough nursing faculty. There's a big push to address the problem. Talk to me about that effort and how does it look from your vantage point? So the future of really medical, any clinical um, occupation, whether it's medicine, nursing, uh, physical therapy, the future is clinical academic partnerships. Okay. You know, prior to now, as a, as a standalone school, you would try to make your own one-off relationship. So you'd send us a few audiology students over here. You'd send a few nursing students over to that place. You'd send med students to this place. Right. And it was sort of cobbled together. Yeah. And really the future is making partnerships between academic institutions and large health systems right. to accommodate. So is it a situation where the health system will subsidize a potential student's education and then in exchange, is it like the military where they're expecting that person to come then work for that system? So it depends. There are all different kinds of uh, arrangements. Right now, Loyola has a scholars program, and they will sponsor students to go to through nursing school, through, uh, in fact, through Loyola's program, our traditional BSN program, and in exchange, the student agrees to work for them for a period of time after. There are other local programs the same. Um, there are also federal institutions, like uh, I actually was a loan repayer with the National Health Service Corps, which has been 
around for a long time, and they are at the provider level. So advanced practice nurses, physicians, dentists, uh, all kinds of profession, health professions. And you agree to work in an underserved area for for a period of two years, um, and they will pay back all of your loans. In the context of all this that's going on, it, can can you talk about how this whole situation affects you and and your what you're trying to get done, your pr- priorities? So the nursing shortage is projected to be worse in the South and the West. So we are going to be hit extra hard in the coming years. So what I'm trying to do here at Loyola with our team in the School of Nursing is to build various avenues for people to become nurses. For example, you have your high school graduate who wants a traditional four-year experience, wants to go to college, live there, be off during the summers, right. work their summer job, and, and great. We have a traditional BSN program. We're also starting in January an accelerated BSN program. Right. That's for folks who already have a bachelor's or higher degree in anything. So you could be in news, you could be in <laughs> Um, you know, chemical engineering, whatever, and you complete prerequisites, and then you come in, and in 16 months, you uh, complete the wow. program and become, have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. Basically, you could have a degree in anything and then come in in a year and a half just of intense studying. There's yes. no break. It's just 16 months straight. Yes, straight through. And um, it, it, you do have to complete the prereqs ahead of time okay. to get in. Oh, okay. But people can do those anywhere. They can do them here at Loyola. They can do them at the closest community college to them. Right. They can they can really complete them anywhere. And, you know, I've, been, I've worked in a program like this prior, and the diversity that brings, the, 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 that kind of program brings, for example, I remember somebody who had a P. PhD in microbiology who came to our accelerated program. We had chemical engineers, women from or people from women's studies, gender studies, divinity backgrounds, wow. and then they all sit together at the table and right. learn. And I learn from you because you have a news background. You learn from me because I have an anthropology background. Right. It's a really rich learning. Well, is there a danger? I know what you're going to say, but is there a danger that we're going to? spend so much resources and focus on this so intensely that, say, 10 years from now, there's going to be a glut of of people trained to do this job? I don't think so, because they're projecting that by 2030, originally it was we would need a million nurses, additional nurses by 2030 to compensate for the baby boomers aging and the the nurses leaving. And now they're projecting 2 million. So that's an average of 200, just about 200,000 nurses, new nurses per year. Wow. That's a lot to turn out. I have a friend who's a, he's an eye surgeon. And he was talking about, during the pandemic, the problem of getting people to work. He was having to limit his surgeries, not just nurses, but techs, everybody. And then he said the other problem he has is he might have a nurse on his staff standing next to a travel nurse that he's had to bring on. There's pay disparities. And so you end up having a situation where you're here in New Orleans. Uh, The person that was working for you last month has gone to Birmingham as a travel nurse to make more money. And then you might have someone from that market coming in here to work for you. That sounds really confusing. Is that one of the problems people are trying to solve by getting more more talent? Right. Uh, it used to be when you started at a nursing position. My first nursing position, I was there seven years. Then my second one, I was there 10 years. And then I became mm. an advanced practice nurse. Well, you don't see people staying that long wow. at jobs anymore because there are incentives. I just saw recently near uh, nearby here a $10,000 sign-on bonus. Right. So I'm going to work here for my two years and then go over there and get that $10,000 sign-on bonus and work for a health system across town. And you're right about the disparity. We all need travel nurses. However, if they're making three times what I'm making and right. I've dedicated myself to this health system, you can see how that could create some bad feeling. Okay, so we talked a little bit about it, but can you explain a little bit more about the Ashner Health Loyola 
partnership? What's sure. happening here? Sure. So we have partnered with um, Auctioner Health System to start our traditional BSN program, and that's the program I mentioned a couple minutes ago. Four years geared towards your high school graduate coming out once a four-year traditional college experience. And so we are two partners with them. They give us uh, priority placements for our BSN students, and they're getting a great clinical experience there. And in return, we're giving them a great liberal arts uh, nursing education. Got you. And that's one part of Loyola's plan to get more nursing students trained up. That's one avenue, exactly. And then, as I said, we have some other plans with the accelerated BSN program and some other things in the work to basically create as many pathways as we can to a nursing degree at the end. Right. Now, I want to switch to talking about the new lab that opened up a few days ago. But first, I need to pause for a moment so we can hear a word from our sponsor. Energy Smart is here to help. We'll pay up to 100% of your business's qualifying LED or HVAC upgrades. Submit your project today. Call 504-229-6868 or email us at info at energysmartnola.com. All right, on Saturday, Loyola launched the Loyola Oshner Nursing Simulation Lab in partnership with Oshner Health. Uh, talk to me about this facility. What does it do to help improve nursing education? So simulation is absolutely critical to clinical uh, professions these days. When I was in nursing school, we didn't have simulation. You practiced on each other. So we practiced IV starts on each other. Um, I'm a certified nurse midwife, and I will tell you that we practiced. My first pelvic exam was on a classmate. (laughs) Like you literally would put a needle in someone's arm? That's the party picks, not the pelvic exam. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something told me to steer away, but uh. yes, you'd put. We would start IVs on each other. So wow. a simulation allows students to learn in a safe space, right. risk-free. So there's also an old adage in uh, clinical professions: see one, do one, teach one. Which okay. means basically you watch it one time, whether it's an IV start or okay. pelvic exam or surgery. You watch one time, you do it the next time, and you're teaching somebody else on the third wow. time. Okay. So that's really risky, right? Because you're practicing on live people. Yeah. So simulation allows students to make errors, and then we debrief, we watch video of of what they were doing, and we can talk through it. And there's a great amount of research to support that there are less errors in medicine when uh, simulation is involved and when the employees take part in that. So I've heard a little bit about it, but can you just describe some of this, uh, some of the tools or the... I don't know how you, what would you describe these, these devices that people can practice on? Sure. There are <laughs> lots of different ones. So we have um, mannequins. That we, so we use both high-tech and low-tech things in the sim lab. For example, I'll give you a great example. We have a birthing simulator that is a wearable simulator. There are birthing mannequins that weigh about 150 pounds, and they're static. So they're really hard to move, and they're made really for the legs to be in what we call lithotomy, legs up and out for, for birth. But that's not how a lot of women give birth. So this wearable simulator allows a standardized patient, which is somebody who's basically an actor playing the part of a patient. We call them standardized patients. They wear this wearable abdomen that weighs about 30, 35 pounds, and it has a built-in motor, and the baby is packed in there, and then the baby actually is born through the simulator. And the patient can be in any position, squatting on her side, whatever, whatever you want the simulation to be. 
Now, in theory, that actor could be a, a man or a woman, right? Yep, could be, <laughs> could be. Uh, and then we have a very, on the birthing spectrum there, we have a very low-tech item called pardo pants, which are basically a pair of scrub pants, which a huh. mid midwife invented the pattern for. And the middle area is sort of cut out so that a baby can be born, okay. maneuvered through and born. And so, for example, in our sim lab, we had a water birth simulation, and we had one of our faculty who is pregnant play the part of a standardized patient oh, who's wow. pregnant having a water birth. And that was, that was phenomenal. So there you get two ends of the spectrum. Uh, Something that costs maybe thirty bucks to make, right? And something that costs several thousand dollars, and students can learn from both. That's amazing. So, so this lab is just full of all sorts of the latest gear to help train. Exactly. There are wearable IV arms, so a standardized patient can put on the arm and act like somebody getting an IV started, even though they're not getting poked. The the artificial arm is, and we have tracheostomy, um, so somebody can wear the chest and, and act like a patient who's having their tracheostomy suctioned. Um, we have catheterization, urinary catheter uh, types of models, so all different kinds of skills can be covered. And so this kind of tech is being used in, in nursing schools, medical schools everywhere, I assume, and will be used more and more. If it's not, it, it should be because we have a good enough database to show that simulation helps decrease medical error. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so again, it, this is uh, this all happens before you get to that C one. What was it? C one, do one, teach one. Right. So this is a preliminary step, and then eventually these these same students will be in a setting where they will actually be, you know, trying their first time to find a vein, you know, on a on a real live patient. Right. But if they've done it in simulation many many times, at least it's helpful. It takes some of the nerves out of it, and they've also had success, hopefully, in, in uh, sticking a mannequin, so they're more confident. Uh, I have to give a shout-out. My mother-in-law is a retired postpartum nurse, and she didn't become a nurse till she was, I think, 50. She had been a med tech for a decade or more before that, but she said at, at the hospital down the street that she was the one that they would call to find all the, the difficult veins, and she credits it to her uh, her med tech background. Oh, definitely. You know, she had just that more training in that regard. Okay, so um, uh, what else is Loyola doing to help? Uh, how can someone who's hearing this and is interested or knows someone is interested, what are the steps for someone to get involved and try and uh, take advantage of this program? So look at our website. It'll describe the programs. We've talked a lot about undergraduate nursing, but we also have graduate nursing programs as well. Okay. So we're also starting some new graduate programs. And so th those who are already nurses who want to go further their education may find something at Loyola. Um, we currently have family nurse practitioner. We've added postmaster's family nurse practitioner beginning in January. We're also um, in the next fall adding adult gerontology nurse practitioner, acute care nurse practitioner, and a nurse anesthesia program. And that will be a really unique program because it's going to be a dual track. Right. So um, in some states, nurse anesthetists are not recognized as advanced practice registered nurses. So by getting this dual track underneath their belt, um, they actually at the end of 36 months have a doctorate in nursing practice and can sit for both certification exams. So they can work as a nurse anesthetist and they can work as an adult gero acute care nurse practitioner. All right, so I'm talking to you during National Midwifery Week. You are a certified nurse midwife. 
uh, and you are being honored as one of the great 100 nurses of Louisiana. Tell me about you, your background in midwifery. So I was a labor and delivery nurse and uh, labor and delivery and childbirth educator and pediatric for 17 years and then decided to go back to graduate school to become a nurse midwife. And uh, I've been a nurse midwife for 20 years and I practice here at Auctioner Baptist. So when I'm not doing my day job as dean, um, I, I'm over at Baptist uh, also catching babies. We like to say catching <laughs> babies because if you say delivery, that means that implies we're doing the work and we all know it's not the person on the end of the bed doing it's the mother doing the work so midwives use catching babies i like that so and but so the and i'm guessing you do that because here you're you're doing administrative work you're you're promoting the program and all that but this is that's your chance to really get back to the basics of what what it is that brought you into the profession yeah and we have a firm belief my school of nursing director dr sherry burke is a practicing certified registered nurse anesthetist at children's here in town so we have a very firm belief that all of us as faculty should be practice active what can midwives do to help this nursing shortage? Well, for one, we're we're very short of obstetrical providers, especially in what we call desert obstetrical care deserts. Those are places around Louisiana and other parts of other states as well, right. where you're 60 minutes or more from a provider in that specialty. So we can fill that gap in putting providers in obstetrical care deserts. And Louisiana has the absolute worst maternal child statistics as far as childbirth. And so by putting more uh, nurse midwives in Louisiana, and especially in those rural areas, we can help elevate those statistics and bring them out from worst. What are the numbers or metrics uh, in, in the midwifery profession? How, like how many do we have? Who keeps track? So, well, the American College of Nurse Midwives does. That's our professional organization. So we attended, certified nurse midwives attended, gosh, I think it's up to 12%. Don't quote me, I haven't looked in a while, but 12% of all vaginal births last year. And that is rising. It rises, uh, and because partly because um, there are less medical students going into that specialty. Um, but also women want an alternative. Right. They are midwifery care is more of a relationship model of care. So it's not patriarchal. We don't tell patients what to do. We give them information and they make the educated decision for themselves. Okay, speaking of midwives, you are an expert blogger about the PBS show called The Midwife. And I have to ask you, explain to me what 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 do you do? What what is your blog about? So there's a British show called Call the Midwife, and it is actually more, it's the most popular show, drama, in England. It's more popular than Downton Abbey, which a lot of Americans love. So it's the most popular show there, and it's been on, let's see, we're going to the 11th season? The 11th season this year, so I have blogged from the beginning. I started at Nashville Public Television and was invited because I was a midwife working at Vanderbilt. And um, when I moved to Chicago and then here to New Orleans, the national network asked me to just stay on. So it's really Really fun. I try to give. It's a 500-word blog. We get sent all the episodes ahead of time, so oh, wow. I get to see them. Oh, cool. And then I submit all my blogs. And on the Monday morning after the Sunday evening show, they post the blog. Okay. And we try to. I try to put in something educational from the episode. So say if it's about a complication of pregnancy, I try to explain a little bit about that. But then I also try to kind of comment from a personal level, something more emotional or to the heart. And um, PBS tells us that the blog is is highly read. It's one of their um, highly rated, most highly rated blogs. Well, it sounds fascinating because here's someone who understands the reality of, of the profession and the, the medicine of it. And then you can talk about what, you know, what you've seen and either a, a story that you've experienced or just like observations. 
It's a lot of fun. Um, but is it hard sometimes to have to come up with that content on a Sunday night? You know, if I, by Sunday night TV time, I'd be exhausted. <laughs> well, that's why we get them ahead of time. Oh, of course. So of course. I get to write my blogs a few weeks oh, ahead good. of time. <laughs> it's not like, oh, gosh, 10 o'clock. No. Nope. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And didn't you say that you have uh, you, you, you heard that the producer of the show was aware of your work? Yes, I got a call from the Daily Telegraph, which is the newspaper in London, a couple of years ago to do an interview about how the show affects American midwifery. And I asked them how they got my name and information, and they said that it was tied back to the show, that the producer had actually um, shown the people on her team my blog. So I was having a fangirl moment and loved it. That's great. (laughs) That's that's awesome. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the same final question that I ask everybody on this podcast. What makes you feel optimistic about the direction we're going, you know, New Orleans, our economy, and what worries you as well? Or let's start with worried and then go into what makes you feel optimistic. So what worries me is... I'm going to go towards the healthcare realm, right? Right. And in the College of Nursing and Health, we have ministry, counseling, and nursing. And so our motto is health and mind, body, and spirit. There's a lot of folks who aren't healthy here. Um, it's outside of childbirth, even, it's one of the least healthy states. So trying to get folks what they need as far as being healthy um, is a, should be a priority, and it, and it isn't sometimes in the legislation and, and so forth, um, especially mental health needs are really critical here. Um, and as I said, is in obstetrical care, um, just a statistic that always tends to throw people, and they have to think about it, that a college-educated woman of color is four times more likely to die in pregnancy or childbirth than is a white woman who's high school-educated. And that's because they're not listened to. Um, they're not taken seriously when they have um, maybe symptoms of something. Right. And sometimes things just go d- too far down the, the, the line and then they die. And that's, that shouldn't happen. So that's my that's my worry. Um, what I'm optimistic about is what I tell people that, who aren't from here when I go back home or whatever. They say, "What do you what do you like about the people of New Orleans, or, or what do you like about New Orleans?" I say, "I've never met such resilient people. Like you could knock you guys down and you just get back up." So a great example is last year during the hurricane, we evacuated because I wasn't going to make our first, first hurricane of that one. So and my neighbors were watching our house, and I called home the first day. How's, how are things going? She said, we're just having a barbecue out in the backyard. Uh, the, the freezer's <laughs> out, so we have to barbecue all the meat. We're right. having a party. Right. And I thought, my gosh, there's been a hurricane. There's no power. <laughs> and these people are having a party. That's just like the spirit here. That sums it up. <laughs> Well, Dr. Michelle Collins, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at BizNewOrleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.